to the Steadfast Podcast, episode number three this week. Last week, we talked about historical discoveries dealing with creation. And we talked about the Supreme Court, talked about Saudi Arabia. We also started our journey through the book of Genesis. We're glad to have you back again this week. This week, we will talk about the peace treaties with Israel and the dealing with uh, Bahrain, the United Arab Emirates. We'll talk about the Temple Mount more. We'll talk about human rights and what the Pope has to say about it. And in our new segment called Some Things to Keep an Eye On. And in our Through the Bible segment, we will continue our teaching on the six days of creation from Genesis chapter one. You're up to day number six. Again, if you enjoy this program, please subscribe to the podcast. Let others know about it. So let's dig into our first segment, some things to keep an eye on. All right, some things to keep an eye on. This is our new segment where we match up what's happening in the world today with the Bible, God's Word. And this week, we're going to tackle several topics, starting with peace treaties that have taken place recently in Israel. Uh, Not really peace treaties per se, because these nations weren't at war, but uh, peace relations, uh, friendly relations, ally relations. Jerusalem Post posts this. Cabinet authorities, Israel and the UAE, United Arab Emirates, peace treaty. This is the title. And Netanyahu. And the UAE leader speak. And the Israeli delegation is actually headed to Bahrain next week, it says here. The first cargo ship from Dubai arrives in Haifa. The cabinet voted unanimously in favor of the peace agreement between Israel and the United Arab Emirates on Monday. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, their crown prince Mohammed bin Zayed, spoke on the phone over the weekend for the first time since the peace treaty signing on the White House's South Lawn on September 15th. Netanyahu called Bin Zaid his friend in his opening remarks at the cabinet meeting. Uh, And this is quotes here. It says, I invited him to visit Israel, and he invited me to visit 
Abu Dubai. And he said, but before that, we will see a delegation from the UAE here, and another delegation of ours will go there. A UAE delegation will pay a reciprocal visit next Tuesday after a group of high-level Israeli officials led by National Security Advisor Nair Ben Shabbat flew to Abu Dhabi in August. An Israeli delegation, it continues on here, is also expected to fly to Bahrain together with American officials on Sunday. And they will stop in the UAE as well. Netanyahu here promised that the UAE delegation to Israel will be met with the same warmth and great excitement, is the quote here, as the, uh, as the Israeli delegation was in Abu Dhabi. The peace treaty between Israel and the UAE expresses the dramatic change in Israel's standing in the region, Netanyahu said. Arab states want to make peace with us because they see how we turn Israel into a superpower. They also see how we stand up to Iran, sometimes alone against the whole world. They understand that we can help them in many areas. They see that Israel is not, all, not, not only not a burden and not an enemy, it is necessary ally. Remarkable. An ally, speaking of these nations here. And the truth is, since the miraculous birth of Israel, when was the miraculous birth? In 1948. Basically, 2,000 years of Israel not existing as a nation. And 70 AD, after Titus Vespasian came in and the Roman Legion Army came in, it destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed Israel. They all scattered. And for about 2,000 years, Israel does not exist. But miraculously, in 1948, it became a nation again. Uh, the Bible would speak of the fig tree that blossoms miraculously. That is Israel. In 1948, they, they became a nation again, miraculously, and really you know, gained great strength in 1967 as well. So the truth is, this miraculous rebirth of Israel in 1948, um, as the Arab countries, they were against them at that time, okay? Against them. And they have been against them right through. The cl closest one to them in that time was a nation of Turkey, a Muslim country, okay? But now it's kind of flipped. Turkey is no longer their close ally, but they're an enemy, which needed to happen biblically because that is what is predicted in the Ezekiel 38-39 battle. That's Pokemon. Turkey will be one of the nations that comes against Israel in the last days. That battle will take place in the future. And these Gulf states like Bahrain here, all right, and the United Arab Emirates here, um, they were not supportive in the past of Israel's right to exist. But now they have friendly relationships with Israel. And even in this uh, segment we, we read about from the Jerusalem Post, they're calling them allies. Remarkable change. The UAE and Bahrain. The Bible actually speaks of these Gulf states as being protest nations in the day of the Ezekiel battle. Okay, so when these nations come against Israel, these Gulf states will be protesting. So it has to have some kind of relationship with Israel. And we see that recently. These Gulf states, uh, amazing here. To see the friendship that now lines up with the last day scenario. The Bible speaks of these, this place as uh, Sheba and Dedan, these Gulf states. Uh, Saudi Arabia will be thrown in there as well. They will protest the invasion of Israel. And we can see that now that they have a relationship with Israel. Uh, the nations are lining up, so keep your eyes open here. Jesus, indeed, he's coming back soon.
other thing we want to keep our eye on is the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount over in Jerusalem. From the Jerusalem Post here again. It says the details of an agreement, agreements between Israel and the United Arab Emirates regarding the Temple Mount must be released before Thursday's Nesen vote on the peace treaty. Yamina M.K. Bezalel Smotrich wrote this in a letter to Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Smotrich pointed out this. The Israeli, American, and Emirati officials said that visits by Muslims to the Temple Mount were part of the agreements. However, that matter is not part of the published text. Quote here, it says, in order to stand for the Israeli Jewish interest in the holiest site in the world for Jews, I asked to receive all the agreements between the sides, written or oral, connected to the Temple Mount. Its diplomatic and property status, its administration and visitation, and prayer arrangements for Jews and for those who are not Jews. Smotrich wrote this last week. Says the MK added that it is a basic condition in a democratic country for the public, and MKs to know that they are being asked to authorize in their vote in the plenum. It says the cabinet unanimously approved the peace treaty between Israel and the UAE, United Arab Emirates, on Monday. Okay, uh, which an August 13th statement announced the peace treaty between Israel and UAE was posted on the U.S. President Donald Trump's Twitter account. And it said and Tr Trump said this on his Twitter account: "Quote: All Muslims who come in peace may visit and pray at Al Aqsa Mosque." Trump said at the September 15th UAE-Israel peace treaty signing ceremony at the White House that the, the Abraham Accord, that's what they're calling this agreement, the Abraham Accord also opens the door for Muslims around the world to visit the historical sites in Israel and to peacefully pray at Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem, the third holiest site in Islam. And it goes on here, quoting, Currently, Muslims may pray at the mosque, but Jews may only visit without praying, and only at limited times. Visitors from much of the Middle East cannot access the site because their countries do not have diplomatic relations with Israel. Citizens of Egypt and Jordan, which made peace treaties with Israel in the past, we know that, have often had difficulty obtaining a visa due to security concerns, may have to wait months to get an answer. The story goes on here, says the UAE-Israel peace agreement does not include visa-free travel. But there are expected to be fewer security issues in allowing the Emirates, uh, the United Arab Emirates, into the country. A foreign ministry source told the Jerusalem Post. Okay, so what's going on here? The truth is, we as, as believers need to keep our eye on the Temple Mount. Okay, and they're talking about what's going to happen at the Temple Mount here. Okay, our Jews. Uh, we're going to be able to come to go. The Jews still going to be silent on prayer. Uh, are Muslims going to be able to come as they please here? What's going on here? And they want to know what what what's the deal? As far as we're concerned, what we need to keep an eye on is the Temple Mount. Okay, the Bible speaks that that one day there's going to be a third temple that will be built. Okay, it's it's going to happen. The Bible speaks of it. Many actually want it done now and make a preparation for that. Those in the power are not so adamant at this point, but. It will be rebuilt one day. Why? Because the Bible says it will. So the Temple Mount will be something to keep an eye on until Jesus comes back for his church. So we'll keep updating you on this as we see more things take 
place. I also want to touch on this. We're going to touch on human rights. Okay, human rights. This is from Breitbart News. It says, a growing coalition questions the Vatican's silence on China's human rights abuse. This is coming from Rome here. A growing number of human rights advocates and observers are vocally expressing their bewilderment of the Vatican's silence over the egregious human rights abuses perpetrated by the Chinese Communist Party. Pope Francis here and other key Vatican figures have avoided criticizing ongoing violations of religious liberty in China. Despite the Holy Sees, um, that's what they call him, and the Bible speaks of no Pope, okay? There's nothing about that in the Bible, but that's what they call him. It's constant appeals to end such abuses elsewhere, it says here. And it quotes here, it says, The world is only just beginning to realize the extent of the persecution of the Chinese Algar Muslims. According to the, some experts, reaching the level of genocide, with conservative estimates of more than, look at this, 1.5 million Algars that are in re-education camps. Sound familiar to some of our history, right? Re-education camps. The story goes on. It says, as a growing opposition to the Holy Sees, China's policy coalesces. Pope Francis here risks damaging the historical legacy of his pontificate. In a curious case of cognitive dissonance, the Pope himself has only had praise for China, insisting that its communist government protect religious freedom. That don't make much sense, but that's what's happening here. And it, and it continues on and says, and that its churches are full. Quote, he has also reversed church discipline to allow Chinese Catholic priests to enroll in the state-run Chinese Catholic Patriotic Association, the government control. Uh, and it continues on, which was set up under the rule of Chairman Mao Zedong as a parallel church to the church in Rome. It'd be ironic, and not to say tragic, it continues on, if the Pope, who made defense of the poor and marginalized the hallmark of his papacy, were to be remembered not for his accomplishments in lifting up the peripheries, but for his silence on China. So what's the point here? Point is, why is the Pope not speaking out? Now, we don't, we don't go through the Pope as, as born-again believers in uh, the church, okay? The Pope is not a biblical position. Nobody's to raised to a higher position than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the head of the church, okay? But Pope is supposedly a religious figure for many around the world, okay? And he speaks out about certain things. But why does he not speak out about China? And that's the point of this article here. And the truth is, he's not the only one. Okay, those that speak out about China um, often get ridiculed and mocked, and especially when it comes with, to this virus that's taking place. Right? Um, we'll get into that some week. We're going to touch on the virus. Okay, not this week. But China has some some huge things going on as far as human rights, where people don't have rights. They're taking away their rights, and they're having these re-education camps. And in the United States, we do the same thing. When you think of the NBA, I don't. I'm a huge basketball fan. I lo I love the Celtics, but I don't. Uh, I stopped watching the NBA this year. I can't. They're a political arm um, for the Democratic Party. That's what they are. Uh, and the NBA and all their stances they're taking. And but they they take these stances, the big stances, to stand up for certain things. 
the NBA didn't do anything when their training camp was over there. The training camp is right over in China, and there's no talk right next door as all these concentration camps are taking place. No talk. Why, 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 why nothing on China? But you want to stand up for certain things that fit a certain party platform. Hollywood. Hollywood's quiet on China as well, right? Why? Well, maybe because they make a lot of money out of their movies there, right? Maybe. Okay? That often comes down to where the money flows, right? So the whole point on this is it's human rights, okay? God expects us to treat people a certain way. If you're not a believer, it's not going to happen. You don't have eyes to see or ears to hear. I understand that. Believers, though, were to treat every every other everybody the way we would want to be treated, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. But we are to also stand up for the poor, those that are, are, are being taken advantage of, all right? So where's the cry? Where's the cry from the supposed Pope here, the religious leader here? Where's the cry for China? And we should be praying for our China. China is the, actually uh, has a thriving church there, okay? Uh, the biggest thriving church is in Iran, believe it or not. Uh, but China is a close second as well. Okay, so let's pray for these people. And we're actually not going to get into the Russian hoax today that we were going to talk about. Maybe we'll talk about that next week. Uh, but we're getting ready for our Bible segment. So uh, grab your Bibles, and we're going to be uh, in the book of Genesis, chapter 1. Who are we? Why are we made a trinity? What does it mean for us to rule? And why do so many people believe in evolution? We'll be talking about those things and much more in our Through the Bible segment. Chronological outlook to give a full picture of the Bible, the Word of God. All right, we are going to be in Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to back it up just a couple verses that we ended on last week. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 24. As we talk about the sixth and final day of creation of God. Verse 24 and 25 through the DBY Darby translation here. says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth living souls after their kind. Cattle. And creeping thing, and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after its kind, and the cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing of the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. So God there, he makes the land animals after their own kind there. And here's where we left off last week. Verse 26 and verse 27 here. I'm using the, uh, the New English translation for these verses here. It says this. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image after our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move on the earth. God created humankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So it says, let us make humankind in our image. Let us. Literally, 
it means uh, we shall. Okay, so let us means we shall. And it's speaking of we means it's, 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 it's plural there in a certain sense. It's speaking of the Trinity. It's a plural, plurality there. Okay, so this gives us the first opportunity here to talk about who, who we humans are. Okay, the first thing we have to understand about human beings is that we are made in the image of God. When you read through the rest of God's creation here, that is not the case for everything else that was created. The only thing created that was made in the image of God is us human beings. That means we are indeed the highest form of life out there. Even angels were not created in God's image, okay? Now, it is true that at this point, we are a little lower form of the angels right now, but that is only temporary until the kingdom of God comes, okay? And believers will be raised back up to a higher form. And there is no comparison to be made between human beings and animals, okay? Animals are not made in the image of God. Now, yes, we do have similar characteristics to animals in certain things, okay? Like many animals, we have a live birth. We breathe air through our lungs. We have hair. We have different characteristics that are the same as some animals. But what we have as human beings that stick out is our intelligence and our ability towards spiritual things. We have the unique ability to have fellowship with God on a personal level. That's a big difference there. There's such a connection in the way we were created in God's image that Jesus would be able to come down and be a man, okay? Because that connection is there. We're made in his image. Jesus can come down and be a human being, and he did. That is how closely connected we are to God in the way that we were created. So everyone, we need to understand this. If you know you are special, which you should, you should know you're special. Why? Because you were created in the image of God. So you need to know this. You are made special in the image of God. That means that means something. And you need to understand that. That means that every single human being on the face of this earth has value, has worth, has worth to God. Sometimes you might think, hey, people don't think you're worthy. Okay, I don't see value in you, but that's what God does, your creator does. You are worth so much, get this, you're worth so much that Jesus came to earth, a man, and lived perfectly for us. And died on the cross so we could be forgiven. Why did he come? To die for you. Because you're special to God. And we were designed for fellowship with him. And because of that, as we'll see, that connection gets caught off a little bit. Okay? It gets nudged because what happens, we're going to see as we go on, is sin's going to enter the world. But we were created, no doubt, to have fellowship with him. Made it in his image. So sin's going to enter the world, and God is, we're going to talk about this as we go on, but 
God had to do something gigantic to get that fellowship back with God. He loves us that much, that he wants that connection with us human beings. So how are we made in the image of God? We human beings are made a trinity. Trinity, meaning three there, okay? Just like God is a trinity. We're not a perfect trinity like God, okay? Well, we're not, we're not turned into gods in that sense. We're not made in this image like we're, we're made into gods. But we are trinity in the sense that we are three, like God. We have a body. We have a soul. Your soul is your mind and emotions. And we have a spirit. Body, soul, and spirit. And like our Father, uh, like, like God is a trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But one, a trinity, okay? And the all reality, in all reality, the only part of God's creation that tends to look vertical, that tends to look up, is human beings, right? I mean, we have a cat here at the house. We, we love the cat, Murdoch. When the cat is meowing, I guarantee that cat is not saying prayers to God. He's not saying prayers to God in his meows, okay? It is not in his design. He's not made in God's image. He's not made a trinity, a body, soul, and spirit. Not in that aspect. The cat is not seeking God's guidance and advice. We human beings have that distinct pull in us. Humans possess a spirit, which we don't find in the rest of creation. We have a body like animals. Yeah, we, both animals and human beings have a body. We have a soul, right? Our, 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 our life, our mind, our emotions, right? Animals, no doubt, have mind and emotions. They have that. You cannot argue that. But what we have that animals don't have is a spirit. We were made for a relationship, relationship with God. And it says here we, we were uh, made after his likeness here. So there's some kind of connection after God's likeness here. What is this all about? We have the ability to have a will. Okay, we can have a will to self-determine, make decisions just like God can. Okay, we can choose much of what happens in our lives. Absolutely. Now, when we make certain decisions, we suffer the consequences of our of our actions. And if we disobey God, then there's going to be consequences. We follow him. Blessings follow, no doubt. Um, but either way, we have the free will to choose in this life. And just like God is sovereign over the world, in a, in a certain sense, we are sovereign that we have free will and choices we can make in our lives. So now knowing this, we are made in God's image. Know this, that does not mean that God has a body. Okay. The truth is this. Um, John 4, 24 says that God is spirit. Okay. Got that? God is spirit. The body form of God, we do see when Jesus comes down, okay? Jesus is the complete image of the invisible God. God is spirit. Jesus came down as a man, okay? He's totally God. Yeah, I can't totally explain the Trinity to you, okay? Um, but what we know is it is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they are one, okay? And Jesus is the complete image of the invisible God. Now, we don't know what. God looks like other than through Jesus, okay? 
And I think God really doesn't want us to know what he looks like. If we are going to worship him, scripture says we must worship him in spirit and truth. It's not saying body. It says in spirit and truth. For what? Because he is spirit. God will later give a commandment that says, Thou shall not make unto thyself any graven image or any likeness of God to bow down and to worship it. In other words, he doesn't want people to know what he looks like. He wants to remain totally formless in your mind. Why? Because if we had an image of God, we would turn to that image instead of the real thing. Okay, We have the image of God and we keep turning there, turning there instead of reaching out to the real thing. I mean, there are many so-called pictures of Jesus around, right? You may even have churches with a, a picture of Jesus hanging on the wall, supposedly. And the truth is, we, we don't know what he looks like. We don't know. And we don't need the picture. God doesn't really want us to have that. He doesn't want any graven images of God. He wants the real thing, a relationship to worship him in spirit and truth. We don't need the cross of gold, okay? We don't need any image that takes us away from the real thing. That's what we want, real thing. God is spirit. And it is our spirit that gets to connect with him. So it goes on and talks about how we human beings are to rule here. So they may rule here, it says. Literally, uh, in the language, it means that we may sway. We sway. And indeed, we do. We have sway over what happens on this earth. We indeed do as human beings, right? We can affect what goes on around this world. Animals can't. Okay, They can do some things. Okay, but And animals have their part to play. But ultimately, what we say in this life as human beings, that's what goes. But here's the deal. With great things, the old saying is, with great things comes great responsibility, right? And that's true. There's an idea here behind dominion, okay? Dominion doesn't mean you dominate and, and there's no thought of taking care of things and you just rule. No, that's not what this means here. The idea behind dominion, ruling, sway here, having sway, it's not a power trip by human beings. But rather, the idea of ruling, of sway here, you have sway, there's a stewardship aspect to this. We are to take proper care of this earth. We are to take proper care of the animals and one another. We were given a great responsibility when humans were created to properly take care of things. And we'll touch on this more as we continue to see God develop this, this, this thought here. So it talks about man being created here. Indeed, man showed up. Okay, It was not baby that showed up. Baby was not God's first creation. God's first creation was man. Adam was made a man. So Adam was made with age dating factors. Okay. God can put age dating factors into things. We already talked about that with, with creation. God can make a tree a uh, hundred years old when he first creates it. Okay? It can already have the age dating factors in it. Um, if you don't come to that, uh, stance come to science that way you may come up with things that say millions and millions of years but god can create age dating factors human beings were created in one day okay one day to procreate not over millions of years they didn't come together not god made them in one day here it says 
And it, it, it's amazing here. Something as intricate as a human body and how it works and the things it's able to do, the genius behind it and healing itself and, and you get cut and, and childbirth and all these things. The thought of evolution makes absolutely no sense. There is obvious thought behind the human body by some kind of genius design. And that genius design is God, Elohim. Notice here, it says he created them. Male and female, he created them. Male and female. Now, this is giving us an overview of God's creation plan for human beings, okay? This is in no way saying Adam was creating having no sex, okay? No, no, Adam was clearly a male in creation, okay? That's not what he's saying. He's not saying he created Adam male and female, okay? That's not what's happening here, no. And this is an overview here. He created both males and females at this point. Okay, we got Adam, a male. Okay, Eve will come along fulfilling the other half of God's plan here. And we see the institution of, we'll see the institution of marriage right off. Marriage will take place. And what is marriage? Marriage is a relationship between a man and a woman. Okay, it takes place between Adam and Eve, which is a picture of what would later be known as the church. Okay, marriage really is a picture of the church. So God created here male and female. In saying that, it's very clear here that God is not confused when he creates. Okay, he creates and he, and he creates things that are good. There's no confusion here. He didn't say maybe this is a man or maybe this is a woman. No, he says he created a male and female here. When someone is born, they are clearly a male or female. And science backs that up, by the way. You can't argue the facts behind science, what you are. You either have the chromosomes to be a man or to be a woman. To argue in any other um, thoughts, many many do because you, you, you might say, I feel a certain way. You may feel a certain way, but it's not scientifically accurate. What is happening with people that may say I feel a certain way and, and may call themselves a man or a woman when they when the science does not back that up. What is happening is either confusion, it's either that or some kind of mental condition, or or it's an ignorance of the truth based on the circumstances you were surrounded with, your upbringing. The truth is men are not women and women are not men, and you don't get to choose which one you are. It, 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 there's no science to back that up. The Bible does not back that up. Now, it's not politically correct to say that, of course. I mean, uh, me saying that, it, it's not popular with some, but it's the truth. It's not politically correct to say, but it is very accurate. And it's really very sad to say that there is much gender confusion out there. That would be a hot button word right there if I say gender confusion. But there is a lot of gender confusion going on today. No doubt what it is, it's really a sign of where our culture is. Where that takes place, it's a sign of where our culture is as, as we have gone away from the creator. who is He's not confused. God's not confused in his creation. He makes who he wants to make men and makes who he wants to make, make women. It's very clear. He did not make a mistake because you are made in his image. You have great purpose. You have value. Great thought took place in your design. Each one of us individually, God had thought behind us. So verse 28 here in the NIV, 
Here it says, And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Verse 29, American Standard Version. It says, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb yielding seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree, in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for food. Verse 30, verse 31 here, uh, in, in the New English translation here, says, And to all the animals of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. It was so God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. There was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So the truth is, when man was created, human beings were created, everyone was a vegetarian. Even the animals were vegetarians. They ate green plants. Because the world was not in a fallen state at that point. But before we go to our next segment here, um, I do want to say this. Why do so many believe in evolution? Number one, it's in our school system. It's, what, it's what's being taught. And it's poured into people's minds from the time they're in grammar school to middle school, to high school, to college. It's poured into them. So many take what is told to them. Why do we believe the mainstream media? If you turn on the television, we'll, we'll, we'll promote it. Why do we believe? Because Hollywood, those that are in the movies that people like to watch, those that are in music that people like to listen to, the cool people are for it. Now, many people, they just haven't sought out truth for themselves. They have just followed the idea of evolution like sheep, buying into what they have been told without seeking it out for themselves, whether it makes sense or not. And that's all we Christians would ask people to do, right? Is just check it out for yourself. Find out if it's really true. Don't take somebody's word for it because they play guitar, because they sing your favorite rap song, because they're in your favorite movie, or they're a professor at a church. Maybe they have an agenda. Seek out for yourself. God gave us a brain. We should use it. We'll come back and go, get into chapter two in our next segment. If you are in the central Maine area and would like to visit the Steadfast Church, we are located at 744 Hogan Road in Bangor, Maine. We have a Sunday service at 10 a.m. We're currently going through the book of Luke. We have a midweek service on Wednesday evenings at 6 p.m., currently going through the book of Jeremiah. We also have youth group that meets Saturday evenings from 5.30 to 8. This is geared for 6th grade through 12th grade. Right now, we are going through a series called True Story about your identity found in Christ. Uh, we are in our last week of that story, and we will be going through the book of Esther. 
So we would encourage you to come join us at the Steadfast Church. Come grow with us. To join us, please, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, where we left off in our last segment. The American Standard Version here says, And the heavens and the earth, they were finished, and all the host of them. Verse 2 in the New English Translation says, By the seventh day, God finished the work that he had been doing. And he ceased on the seventh day all the work that he had been doing. Now, I use the New English translation on purpose here for verse 2. I believe it's the most accurate translation as dealing with the original Hebrew language. Okay, Many actually translate it in the translation as God resting on the seventh day. I personally believe that's a really poor interpretation. I believe the original language, it literally says he ceased on the seventh day. He just stopped. Okay, he stopped. Many have the translation as rest, and then pastors have to come in and say, usually he didn't rest because he was tired. That's what our thoughts are on is rest, right? When you think of rest, you think of being tired. No, he didn't rest. He, He ceased on the seventh day. He stopped. Why'd he stop? He stopped because he had accomplished all he set out to do in six literal days of creation. And then he stopped. You'll see a pattern actually develop as we go through the scriptures here. of a stop on the seventh day. A cease. We'll see a pattern of six to one all through the scriptures as we continue our journey through entire 66 books of the Bible. Verse three here. New, uh, New English translation as well. It says, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he ceased all the work that he had been doing in creation. So notice here we have a seven-day schedule. Just like we have all throughout our world, right? Our world typically has a seven-day schedule for our weeks throughout the whole world. Why? Because God set that precedent. So what, what about the seventh day, though? It says he it was made holy. Why was the seventh day made holy? Well, it says because God ceased from the work of creation. That's the day he stopped. And what this is, it is all a picture of the completed work of Christ. Okay? When Jesus Christ goes to the cross and his work is done, okay, the regeneration, the regeneration is, uh, is those of us that get saved, we're born again, but whosoever shall believe in him on the cross. When that takes place and he dies on the cross, what does Jesus say? It is finished. In other words, the work ceased. It stopped when he was on the cross. The work was finished. And all that received the free gift of salvation, what do they find? They find rest, right? They find a a cease from having to strive, having to work with toil, right? That's what comes in upon this earth, as we'll see as we go through Genesis, when the fall of man came, okay? That striving, that that working with the toil, uh, the sweat of your brow, that, that striving of life, that heavy burden, that heavy weight upon us, it will cease, it will stop because of the finished work of Jesus. We find rest in the salvation of Jesus. The Christ. 
So the Sabbath here will be something that we'll be giving eventually to the Jews specifically later on to keep this seventh day. And it's all a picture here of what Christ's work would be done on the cross. For Christians, if you are a believer today, you are in no obligation under the Sabbath. Jesus Christ fulfills that Sabbath for us. We rest in him daily, not just one day a week. Okay? Daily we rest in him. Hebrews 4, 9 through 11 says this. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also has what? He ceased, he stopped from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. So we still have our Sabbath, but but our Sabbath is every day. It's every day with Jesus, okay? We rest in him. We cease from our toil and our striving in that heavy burden. It stops because God stopped on the seventh day. Because Jesus Christ's work was finished. He said, it is done. It is ceased. But therefore, we rest in him daily. Verse 4 here. From the Darby translation here, it says, These are the histories of the heavens and the earth when they were created in that day that Jehovah, uh, name for God, Jehovah Elohim, God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, made earth and heavens. So the history of the heavens and the earth is over here, okay? It's accomplished. All the creation was done. Sixth day of creation, and then you have the seventh day of the ceasing of work here. And that's it. The full record of the history of the heavens and the earth, the creation, done. That's what it's saying here. Now your translation here might say Lord. It might be capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. All capital letters, Lord, right? This is the first use that we see of Lord in the scripture, okay? Uh, in, in the translation that I spoke of, it, it says Jehovah. That is what it's speaking of, Lord Jehovah in the scriptures. Whenever you see that, the all capital letters Lord in the Old Testament is referring to the name of God, Jehovah. Now, God, of course, um, it is not his name, okay? It's a description of who he is. Jehovah is the name that Jews so often would use to describe God. Um, and and it, the Jews would use it, and they saw it as so holy, which it is, that they wouldn't completely write out the entire name. They couldn't write it out because they saw it as holy. They would actually leave the vowels out whenever they had to write God's name. So it would actually be written J-H-V-H. Okay? So the truth is, we don't, we actually don't even know how to pronounce God's name here. You know I mean, we can't pronounce, if, if I had J-H-E-H, try to read that word. You can't pronounce it, right? Because the vowels have been, uh, if we place the vowels in there, okay, many come up with Jehovah, Jehovah. But we really don't know how it was supposed to be pronounced. Now, most scholars believe, and I agree with this, it was actually pronounced Yahweh, Yahweh. But as the years went on, Jehovah kind of came more popular in understanding. So often it's translated as that. 
either way, the name is holy and to be reverenced. So whenever we see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord, that is specifically speaking of Jehovah, or uh, more specifically, I, I, I think you could use the word Yahweh. Yahweh is his name. Yahweh, Jehovah. It's verse 5 here. In the Young's uh, literal translation here, the YLT, it says, And no shrub of the field is yet in the earth, and no herb of the field yet sprouteth. For Jehovah God hath not reigned upon the earth, and a man there is not to serve the ground. And again, we must remember this was a total different climate than we would have today. We don't know for sure, but the way the earth was created, it appears that rain did not happen here. At this point, it said it had not rained. Um, but really, it appears that rain really didn't happen as we know it today until the days of Noah. Before that time, there was a firmament. Remember, we spoke about this, a firmament in the atmosphere, a canopy of water up in the atmosphere. And you would have dew from the ground and evaporation that takes place, and it would take care of the, the plants. Take care of the, the vegetation. So not rain like we know today. Verse 6, the New American Standard Version here says, But 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 a mist used was used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. Literally in the translation is speaking of humidity ascending. Humidity ascending up. So again, it's a system of evaporation and condensation, keeping the plants watered, a totally different climate than we have today. Verse 7 and 8 from the Darby translation says, And Jehovah Elohim here formed man, dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And Jehovah Elohim planted a garden in Eden eastward, and there put man whom he had formed. So human beings were created out of dust here, it says. Literally, the literal translation, we were created out of the soil, the soil of the ground. The same elements outside your home, in the ground, in the ball field, down the road, are the same elements we human beings are made out of. The idea here behind the word dust here is humility, okay, and uh, brought low from the dust, humility. Man was formed in humility, formed from the dust. Then what happens in that humility? Then God blows his breath into the man and he becomes alive. Remarkable here. The Hebrew word for breath here is ruach, ruach. The same word used for breath is also used for spirit. So it says Jehovah Elohim here, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Elohim, they also planted a garden in Eden. Now, as far as Eden, we don't know where that is. There's many guesses. I believe it would be hard to pinpoint because in the time of Noah, there was what? There was a worldwide flood that takes place and changed the original landscape. Okay, things were all moved everywhere. The world's beginning, many think, is, to, is to, to have happened in a place called Mesopotamia, okay? And, and I would agree with that sentiment, but we, we, we can't pinpoint these things for sure because there was a worldwide flood. 
Now, Eden here signifies that this garden was pleasant. Eden, that's what Eden means, pleasant. Uh, so really what they were living in, this place and where the garden is here, it's really a paradise they were living in, a tropical paradise. Verse 9, the Young's Living Translation here. It says, And Je Jehovah God caused to sprout from the ground every tree desirable for appearance and good for food, and the tree of life in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So one of these trees here God planted was called the tree of life. The tree of life was indeed all about sustaining life. If they were to eat of this tree, we'll see that, hey, you could live forever. That's what it says. Now, God will still have a tree of life available to believers. Still going to be available. Revelation 2.7 speaks of this tree as being in heaven in the days yet to come. The second tree here is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. This tree here, is, is, we will see, is a tree of temptation placed there so man can make a choice. Why is it called the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Well, if Adam eats it, does it mean he now will understand what good and evil is? Well, or maybe really what it is, is to, to test whether man is good or man is evil, right? If man will give into that temptation or not, or they'll walk away from it. A choice being able to be made here. Verse 10, King James Version here, says, And a river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from thence it was parted and became into four heads here. Now, Eden here was, like I said, probably in the region of Mesopotamia, but we really don't know. What we do know is this land, though, was at this time a sort of tropical paradise, like we talked about. And even here, it means pleasantness. Uh, what, a, what a remarkable place. They, a different environment because it was it created in perfection here before the fall of mankind. Verse 11 through 13 here in the Darby translation. Is the name of the one here, speaking of these four heads, these four rivers here, the name of the one is Pison. That is that which surrounds the whole land of Havilah, where the gold is. And the gold of that land is good. The delium and the, the onyx stone are there. Pearl. And it says, and the name of the second river is Gihon, the Gihon. That is it which surrounds the whole land of Cush. Again, like we spoke about with Eden here. Um, and we don't know where Pison or Havilah were. You see, the whole landscape of this earth was changed again after the worldwide flood in the time of Noah. So it's hard to determine just where this is as far as location on the earth today. Okay. Now, we don't really need to know the location here, but rather we need to get the overall picture of the setting that the world was at during original creation. Now, it is true that there are rivers that were named after the flood that have the same never, name as rivers before the flood. We're going to see this, okay, uh, with the Tigris River and the Euphrates here. Um, there would be ones that no one his family would be more familiar with that they can name perhaps um, after the flood. And, and they name these, and we got a river back then, a river one uh, today, name the same thing. So they, they probably are on the same areas because Noah could have named them. But to pinpoint the original locations, 
we can't be sure on these things. The original creation is tough as far as locating because of the worldwide flood. But we know the reality of it. Verse 14 here. In Darby translation. It says the name of the third river here is Hedekel. That is it which flows toward Ashur. And the fourth river that is Euphrates. Hedekel here. And your translation might even say this. It's said to be the Tigris River, Hedekel here, okay? And some say that the Garden Evening was uh, what we call Babylon today, in Babylon area, okay? Um, that Middle East region. In the history books that I teach, my daughter in this area, it's actually, they call it the Cradle of Civilization, where civilization began. And it's very possible that that's true, that the Garden of Eden was somewhere between the Tigris and the Euphrates. I think that's probable, um, but I don't think we can have an absolute here of knowing for sure. But we need to get the general overall picture of what was the land like? What was the environment like in the days they were living? We will pick up in verse 15 in our next podcast. So we thank you guys for joining us this week. We are going to leave you with a quick thought here. And then we'll see you next week. Here's what I want to leave you with today. Know this. You are special. You have worth. You are made in the image of God. Male or female. You see, God doesn't make mistakes. You are made who you were supposed to be. God took great thought in creating you specifically. You were beautiful and wonderfully made. So know this, Christ loves you. Jesus loves you. We encourage you to stay steadfast. And know this, that Christ was committed to you on the cross. So it's only right that we commit to him. So let's commit to him together. Let's grow together and stay steadfast. May the fire inside of you burn deeply for the Lord. We'll see you next week.